Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So today, um, today is, is Grandparents' Day. Who knew? Did anybody know that? Yeah, I didn't know that. I saw this thing yesterday, you know, uh, some meme or something about Grandparents' Day. Like, I didn't know that was a thing, but it's Grandparents' Day today. So happy Grandparents' Day. I think we probably have four grandparents in the room. Uh, but hey, someday you'll all be grandparents, so there. Uh, I, got, I had fun yesterday. got to hang out with my grandkids at one of my grandson's soccer games. That was a, it's always a good time. So anyway, uh, the other thing I wanted to just follow up on, Chuck mentioned pastors welcome this morning. If you are a guest today or new with us, even recently in the last few weeks, just invite you to, to join us after service. Just a few minutes back in the youth room here. There's a little circle of chairs there. Uh, again, just a way for us to introduce ourselves, say hello, share a little bit about our history and who we are as a church, what we, what we kind of practice and do around here. And if you have any questions, we'd be happy to answer questions. So uh, that'll just be a brief uh, little informal meeting. So uh, we have been in the Gospel of Luke now for a while. Probably will continue to be in the Gospel of Luke for a little while longer. Uh, But it's been kind of fun. I I love uh, the Gospel of Luke for a number of reasons. Talks a lot about the kingdom of God, which I like. And uh, it also just covers a lot of different bases. So there's a lot of different topical issues that kind of rise up through there. Uh, This morning, I'm going to do something a little differently than we normally do. Usually, I do a brief introduction, then I read the text, and then we go into the message. This morning, I'm going to actually read the text first, and then do a little bit longer introduction, kind of give you the context for it, and then we'll get into it. So a little bit different order of things, but uh, hopefully ends up the same in the end. So if you would go ahead and go to the next slide, I want to look at Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. Great, 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 great story. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. And then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him, and they said, Send the crowds away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. And he replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. All right, so um, if you recall last week, uh, the disciples went out, Jesus sent them out to go do ministry on their own for the first time. It was their first kind of venture out without him, and so now they're back. Uh, and uh, they want to tell Jesus about their experience. 
They were probably gone for a while. It might have been a few weeks. It could have been up to a couple of months that we don't know exactly. But it, they were out, you know, ministering for a while. So they had a lot to talk about. They're going to share with Jesus what they did. Um, Bethsaida is a tiny little fishing village up on sort of the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, kind of a quaint little getaway. Uh, I think that the plan here was for them to get a little R&R, maybe. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip, but it's always good when you come home to just take a moment and breathe, to debrief a little bit, talk about your experience, sort of process. And I, I, I assume that's sort of what was the plan here. Jesus and the guys get away, little break, little debrief, uh, just kind of hang out. But the ever-present crowd... You know, you, I know if you notice throughout the book of Luke, the crowd is uh, there moving all the time. And they don't want to have, uh, they don't want to let this happen. In their minds, at least, and maybe realistically so, their need for healing is greater than Jesus' need for rest. So they press in, they press in, even when the guys are trying to get away. Uh, I find it quite interesting here. The difference in response to that between Jesus and the disciples it says, Jesus welcomed them, and he began to heal those that needed healing. So he goes right back to work. Uh, the disciples are tired, and they said, send them away. If I'm going to be really honest with you, I'm probably with the disciples here. Um, I, I have been on a number of ministry trips. When Donna and I were younger, we had opportunity to travel with John Wimber and we did some stuff in England and Scotland and South Africa. Later, I went with him to Australia, New Zealand, Brazil. I can't remember everywhere else, but uh, very often we would do two, sometimes three meetings a day. Sometimes in some of those meetings, we had a ministry team of 30 to 40 people, but there might be 500 or 800 people at the conference or some number like that huge groups of people come up for prayer. So you might end up praying, you know, I, there were times we prayed for two hours, two and a half hours straight for people after a meeting like that. <clears throat> and you're tired, man. You just wiped out emotionally, physically, spiritually, just drained. <clears throat> you want to get away. Um, so I, I kind of understand how the disciples are feeling here. Uh, Jesus, though, has a little different perspective. And he just says, you know, welcome them in. I find it interesting too here, uh, the disciples, they're not asking Jesus. I, I, I would have probably, I don't know, maybe not. I probably maybe would have been like them in my mind. I think I would go, hey, Jesus, what should we do here? Um, but they don't do that. They just tell Jesus what to do. Jesus, send them away. Um, I don't know if that's a good approach or not. Um, when you're faced with overwhelming needs like that, though, it, it really can be uh, you, you know, overwhelming. It, it can be uh, pressing and difficult. Um, but I think it, at times it might, when we are faced with things that are beyond us, I find it helpful to just say, okay, Lord, what do we do here? What, what, how do I handle this? Um, and in that situation, though, it's always good. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, God's answer isn't what we think it will be. Anybody ever experienced that? Um, we have to be prepared for what he wants us to do. Go to the next slide. I love this. You give them something to eat. Uh, the disciples' response, of course. But, but Jesus, wait, hold on, time out, time out. Um, uh, you know, we only have so much. 
So again, contextually here, culturally, uh, and I'm not, this is, they, they only counted the men. I don't think that's a good plan. It's not a, we shouldn't do that today. Equality for all. I was going to say, I was thinking about this morning, the whole, you know, with the, the soccer team and everything and the disparity in pay. We pay our, our female members of the worship team the exact same amount we pay the male members, just so everybody knows. Exact same amount. Right? Is that true? <laughs> they all get nothing. <laughs> they counted the men. There was 5,000 men. How many people were there? I don't even know. I'm trying to think, okay, so if there's 5,000 men, is there 5,000 women? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. What about kids? How many kids were there? Uh, so, I don't, you know, is there 10, 12, 15? I don't know how many people are at this event, um, but the disciples are, are fairly clear that they do not have the resource to meet the needs of this hungry crowd. This cannot be done, okay? There's no way this can be done. Uh, how are we supposed to feed these people? I don't know if you've ever uh, fed a large group of people. Have you ever had a party, you know, 20, 50 people? So, so a few years ago, uh, we had a party at our house. I cooked a pig, a whole pig. We fed about 100 people. My, uh, so, so my kids, several members of our family all have birthdays within about a four-week period in July and August. And so I was talking to my son-in-law one day, and he says, we should just do one big party for everybody instead of try to get together everybody all these different times. And I go, that's a good idea. And then I, something overcame me. I don't know what it was. Momentary insanity. I said, if we do that, I'll cook a pig. So we did. We dug a hole in the ground. My son-in-law, my other son-in-law brought over a backhoe, dug a hole in the ground. We bought a whole pig. We, we put an apple in its mouth and injected it full of apple juice. We wrapped it in banana leaves. I burned a fire. We burned, my other, my other, my son works with a friend of his who does trees, cuts trees, and he brought some white oak. We burned a fire in the pit for two days, two days. We had the coals building up, lowered the pig in, uh, cooked it for another day. So the, my point is, it was a ton of work. We fed 100 people, but the process took about three days. It was huge. And we did feed about 100 people. Nowhere near 10,000 people, just by comparison, okay? Um, I said last week, Jesus here is, there's a contrast going on between the old Israel and the new Israel, Old Testament, New Testament. And if you look back to Exodus 18... The children of Israel are moving towards the promised land, but Moses is leading them, but they, they have stuff they need dealt with. They have issues and problems they want to talk to him about. He's overwhelmed with what to do, and his father-in-law says, look, do this. Break them down into small groups and set them down in groups, and then you deal with them one group at a time. And so Jesus really mirrors that here. He tells the disciples, there's a lot of people here. Break them into smaller groups and have them sit down. Um, I want to say this. Uh, he does not want them to just be fed. Jesus could have said, tell them to line up. You know what I mean? Get, just have them line up. But instead, he said, I want you to break them into small groups. He really wants them to share a meal together. He's, he's really here uh, illustrating and preparing for what, you know, kingdom living, really. Uh, dynamic of, there's something about 
uh, a small group or whatever when you sit down together for a meal. It just there just is. It's it's there there is a dynamic of fellowship and unity and community that happens that doesn't happen otherwise. And that's I mean that's why we announced small groups this morning. That's why we do small groups. It's important because look if you if we come on Sunday. Uh, we, we have a, a corporate worship experience together, which is always really nice, which was great today, by the way. You guys did such a good job. I just love that. Um, we get to hear some fantastic teaching. <laughs> and you, we have an opportunity for prayer at the end, right? So, so those are all good things, but it's not complete. It's not a complete picture of fellowship because we really don't have that opportunity to know each other and to get to know one another and really to know and be known, to share your heart and to, to really open up and, and, and just really engage. And so that's why it's important to, to have groups outside of this. And I think that's what Jesus is focusing on here. So he has them sit down in groups and then he takes the little bit of food that the disciples have, he gives thanks, and then he gives it back to them. And I don't know if you guys pray before a meal. We, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Uh, but if you do, that's the impetus of that. That's the, the, the origin, you know. Uh, and really, to me, it's, it's just cultivating a heart of gratitude. I think if you pray for your meal three times a day, you give thanks, you're just reminding yourself three times a day to be thankful. That's really the heart behind that. I love this passage. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Gospels. And this is why. Because Jesus takes the food, he prays for it, he gives it back to the disciples, and then they distribute it to the people. So the question in my mind is, when and where exactly, in whose hands did the food multiply? And we don't really know. It's a little unclear. My suspicion is, Jesus gave them back exactly what they gave him. And he passed it on from there. And it was multiplied in their hands. And I, I just believe that's how God works. He invites us into a process with him and allows us to participate in what he's doing. So that is uh, the introduction. So go to my next slide, if you would. We only have, is our title this morning, we only have, and it's a mindset that we want to press through. So I'm going to pray. The rest of the message will only take about an hour. Um, I'm just joking. Sorry. Lord, thanks for your word. And uh, just help us to receive from you today and to really uh, uh, grow in, in our ability to trust you and to have faith for you, to take care of those things that uh, we see around us that uh, need a touch from you. Amen. So a few things about this passage. First thing is this. This is a miracle. Okay. This is a full-blown real life, real time justified, qualified, whatever. This is, this is, this is a miracle. Um, however many people were actually there, and again, I don't know, it was a lot, somewhere in excess of 5,000, maybe double or triple that amount. They did not get full off of two sardines and five pita breads. That just didn't happen. This is a miracle. Uh, go ahead and go to the, the next uh, slide if you would. Uh, I read this book about a year ago, uh, called Miracles by Craig Keener. Keener is a, just a wonderful author and, and theologian. He's one of my favorite New Testament theologians. And that's not a dual image there. The book is actually two volumes. It's about 1,200 pages. Um, about 150 pages are footnotes 
but I read the whole book and most of the footnotes because it was so enthralling. He documents the history of miracles throughout the church, beginning in the New Testament and moving forward all the way up to the present. And actually in his later chapters, there's some mention of vineyard churches and things that happened uh, in, in vineyard meetings in there. But it's, it's, uh, it's very engaging and very enthralling and very interesting just to read the reality that throughout the history of the church, people of God have engaged with God in his ministry and he's done miracles. He did it then, he could do it now. And it's, it's uh, something that we need to keep in mind. I find it interesting, uh, let's say funny at times, when I talk to people periodically, not often, but sometimes you talk to somebody who, they say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I think he was a historical figure. You know, he was a real person, but he wasn't God. That's ridiculous. So he was probably like, a, he was a wise teacher, you hear sometimes, or he was a great prophet. He was one of the great prophets. And I'm going, okay, yeah, let me tell you something. A great prophet or wise teacher didn't just pull that off, okay? I know some wise teachers, frankly. Uh, they don't multiply food like that. Uh, th- there's just a little different reality happening here. Uh, Jesus is the creator of all things, including food. Can I get an Amen. There you go. Uh, and he's a God of miracles. He does miracles. And, and this is a miracle. And I think we can trust God to do miracles in our midst today. Uh, we've seen it happen before. Uh, I won't go into, you know, all of them right now, but I, I'm, I'm blessed by what I've seen God do in our, in our little fellowship here. Um, another thing about this passage that I find uh, very encouraging is that this is, it has what I would call eschatological significance which means that when the kingdom breaks into a situation, we get a little glimpse of what it will look like when the kingdom comes in its fullness. We see an image of when somebody is healed, the kingdom of God breaks in and heals that person. We, we see an image of what God will do when his kingdom comes in fullness, when everybody is healed. And one of the things that will happen when the kingdom of God is with us completely and fully is this, Nobody will be hungry. We we will not run an emergency food pantry when God's kingdom is released in its fullness. That's a high priority to us. It's something we've done since the very, very beginning of our church. And as long as this church exists in this world we will continue to do that, but in, the, in, in heaven, we won't run a food pantry because we won't need to, because nobody will be hungry, because everybody's needs will be provided for. The disciples here weren't really prepared for this. They had uh, seen Jesus heal some people. They'd seen a couple of deliverances, and they actually had seen one young man raised from the dead, but they weren't prepared for this. And I think they had sort of boxed Jesus in a little bit. Well, he does this and this and this. That's what Jesus does. Um, and so maybe meeting physical needs was, was not on their radar. Uh, but, but I would say this, Jesus has a very different perspective on the situation. He sees things in a much more holistic way. And, and I want to say this to us today. The kingdom of God is about life. It's about all of life. And Jesus cares about life, and he cares about the things in your life that you care about, and he wants to help you through those issues, whatever they are, in any realm, 
whether they're relational, emotional, spiritual, physical, whatever realm they're in, Jesus wants to press in and help you move through those things. He cares about life. He's a God of life. Somebody, somebody said something to me one time, somebody I respect and admire a lot. In my previous life, I was a gardener, and uh, I was planting flowers in front of this house. Just, you know, and uh, she came out and looked at me, and she looked at the flowers, and she goes, you know, whether you heal the sick or plant a flower, it's all life. I mean, I was just, got me. I just love it. God cares about life. Um, we, we, we don't, we don't want to limit God. We don't want to confine God to what he normally does, okay? We, we want to be willing to open up our hearts and allow God to do what he wants to do in any given situation. You know, we get sick sometimes, and we go to the doctor, right? And that's good. We should go to the doctor. We should do that, but we should also pray. Would you show the next picture for me? I love that. That's on our bulletin board in the back. The reason I love that is this. That was just about two years ago, and this was the Sunday before I was going into the hospital to have knee replacement. And I had mentioned something about it during the day that I was going in for surgery that week to have my knee replaced. So these uh, little prayer warriors here came up to me after service and they said, hey, we want to pray for your knee. And I said, well, I'm going in tomorrow to get surgery to have my knee replaced. And they said, well, yeah, but if we pray for you and you get healed, then you don't have to have surgery, silly. And I was like, you have a point. Uh, so they prayed for me. So look, do the natural things. Do the wise things. Don't not do those things. But also look to God. Don't, don't limit what God might be able to do in any given situation. We want to press into him all the time and make ourselves available. Uh, you know, we don't, I don't want to be like the disciples were here and, and, and come to Jesus and say, well, we only have so much. We can only do this. You know, that, that's, we, we're, we're limited. I, I want to say instead, Jesus, what would you want to do here? What would be your heart in this situation? And again, I love Jesus' response. And if you go to the next slide, he says, you give them something to eat. You know, here's the thing about this. If he would have changed one little word in that sentence, it would have been a completely different ballgame. Okay, if the crowd is pressing in and they're hungry and the disciples say, Jesus, we got to get them some food or whatever. And Jesus says, I'll give them something to eat. Oh, cool. No problem. Jesus has got this. He'll take care of it. He's got Grubhub on speed dial, whatever. He'll just, you know, he'll call it in. I'll give them something to eat. They're thinking, okay, cool. Jesus will take care of it. But he doesn't say, I'll give them something to eat. He says, you give them something to eat. He, he pushes them into the mix a little bit. So here's, I think, something that we can take away. Um, th there, are, there, are, there are some problems in our world today. <laughs> Amen. That's my boy. Uh, there are problems in our community today. Uh, homelessness has become an issue in Portland. Anybody notice that? I read uh, an article recently, and I, 
I, for, I forget the statistics, but the effect of it was that the homeless population in Portland has grown exponentially just in the last few years. I think if you drive around town at all, you're aware of that. So homelessness is an issue here in our community. Uh, hunger is an issue in our community. Most of us don't maybe aren't in touch with that all the time, but the reality is in the state of Oregon, one in five children lives with food insecurity. One in five, 20%. What that means, food insecurity means this, that they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. So I know where my next meal is going to come from. It's going to come from Fred Meyer. The only question I have is, will it be pork, beef, steak, or fish? Or, you know what I mean, chicken or fish. It's, but 20% of the children in our state today don't know where their next meal is going to come from. That's an issue. Racism is an issue in our community. Whether or not we want to acknowledge that, the reality is it is. And if you watch the news lately and you see these protests and counter-protests going on, uh, I don't care what you think people are standing for. Behind all of those things is racism. And so we, we don't deal with other issues the, as much as other places. Clean water is not as big of an issue here as it is in some parts of the world where I travel. Uh, diseases and sicknesses aren't as much of an issue here as they are in other parts of the world. But the reality is there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of issues, a lot of trouble, a lot of problems in our world. And sometimes our mindset becomes somebody should do something about this. I, I see little reports on the news. You know, you watch the local news in the afternoon or whatever. The homeless thing comes up. Somebody should do something about that. Where is Ted Wheeler? Where is the Why does and and somebody needs to clean this up? Somebody needs to take care of these people. What are we going to do? How are we going to have the money to do that? Um, and and the underlying sort of mindset is, it's the government's job, right? It's the government's job. But the only <laughs> the issue is we can't agree on how the government should take care of it. Somebody says, well, you know. Uh, give tax breaks to the rich and create better programs. Somebody else says, no, tax the rich and, you know, feed the poor, whatever. Uh, who's right, who's wrong? The reality is they're both wrong. Um, I, I, have, I have been looking for, uh, you know, that section in the New Testament where it talks about us uh, commissioning the government to take care of the needs in our community, and I have not been able to find it. It's just, I don't, it's, it's, it's escaping me. The reality is these are our issues. I mean, church, this, uh, poverty and homelessness is our issue. Racism and injustice are our issues. Those are, those are things that frankly should be close to our heart. And when we hear and see of those things, to me, minimally, they should break our heart and press us into prayer, minimally. Beyond that, I think we need to be a voice. Uh, and beyond that, we need to pray and prayerfully ask, as I think the disciples could have done here, Jesus, what is your heart in this situation? What might we be able to do? And let me say this. We can feel like those are big issues and we don't have the resource to deal with them. And on a surface level, that is the reality. Okay? But our hope is this. Our hope is that kingdom people can take five loaves and two fish and present them to Jesus and he'll multiply them and give us the resource to take care of the problems that need to be taken care of. That's our hope. It's not a lot. 
but it's something. If we take what we have and we do with it what we can, we trust God then to fill in the gaps. And that's how it's supposed to work. Let me say this. I've been at this a long time. We will never have enough resource to manage the situation in front of us, whatever it might be. God doesn't do it that way. He's going to give us enough to trust him to multiply it. That's how it works. And I've seen it happen a thousand times. You think, I, I just, I don't, I have very little. I don't know what I can do. I, I pay my bills at the end of the month. You know, I got a hundred bucks left. That's, that's it. Well, so give five bucks and see what God might do with it. Volunteer one hour or two hours and see what God might do with it. Trust God to multiply what we have and we'll see amazing things happen. Go ahead and go to the head. One more, go one more. I love this. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Jesus took what they had and he multiplied it in abundance. We trust God, we share we have. He multiplies it and it's, you know, we, we have an opportunity to partner with him in seeing his hand at work. That's how it works. It's amazing to me, you know, Every single week, I'm amazed at how much food we move through our little two-car garage up here. Um, how many people we feed. Because we don't have a lot of resource. Uh, but God, God blesses our efforts. He's blessed what we've done. He's blessed us with partnerships. So God bless Oregon Food Bank. God bless Natural Grocers and some of the other vendors that help contribute. God bless Christ the King. They support our food pantry every month. Uh, and so we take very little... And it goes a long way. So every Thursday, Mike Crane and I go to Oregon Food Bank and we pick up our order. And it's always about the same, uh, the same amount. So, so what happens is Michael Jordan places the order earlier in the week. And on Tuesday or Wednesday, usually, I get a text from Michael with the order. And it's got the order number and then how big the order is. And it's, and it's always roughly the same. It's always right around uh, 1,100, 1,200 pounds. Sometimes 1,400 pounds, that's a big order. 980, that's a small order. But it's always roughly in that area. So about four weeks ago, I get my text from Michael. And he goes, hey, the order this week is pretty big. It's like 2,900 pounds. And I go, well, that's not pretty big. That's twice the size of normal. And that's what I'm thinking. Now, that's before we do what we call shop the dock. So when we get there, we have our order that's prepackaged and waiting for us. But we also go in and we pick up uh, milk, dairy, bread, produce, potatoes, onions, bags of carrots, apples. That's all in addition to the order. So I'm looking at this. I'm going, this is going to be over 3,500 pounds before we're done. So on that particular day, as it would be, my crane was out of town, so I had to go by myself. So on the front end, that's not a big deal because when I go to Oregon Food Bank, I just back the truck up into the dock and a little guy with a forklift comes out and goes and drops it right into the truck. Beautiful, love that. I come here to unload and guess what? We don't have a forklift. So that particular day, we had a couple other of our volunteers were, were gone. Candace Stevens was here. So Candy and I are unloading 3,500 pounds of food and I'm cursing Michael under my breath. What in the name of Sam Hill were you thinking? So go to the next slide. That's the order that day. 3,500 pounds of food in the back of this truck. Now go to the next slide. Here's the point. 
That's the bill. $28.50 plus $360, $26.27. God takes our efforts when we say, hey, we're committed. We're going to do this every Thursday, come hell or high water, we're going to give food to the poor. And, and I'll tell you this, in the history of our church, we've had to cut back on other things, cut back on salaries. We're in this building because we couldn't afford the building. We're in. We've never, 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 not one time ever not done that. So you seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given unto you. And I'm just going to say to you today, Whatever situation you're in, whatever need presents itself, you trust him with what you have and see what God might do. Give him an opportunity. We can be like the disciples and we can focus on what we don't have. We only have this. Or we can say, Lord, you take this and you do what you will with it. Uh, One last verse. Go ahead. Go to. I already got ahead of you. Go one more. Second Corinthians 9, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We think of that often, this text is typically used in a tithing message, and we think of it in terms of finances, and it might be, it can certainly be applied to that, but it can also have other applications. So, uh, whatever we might give, God is, but here's the point, God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will bound every good work. So the point is this, that when we give, God will multiply what we give and make sure we have enough to give more. That's the idea. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. That's the context. The Old Testament quote is about giving to the poor and God providing for the needs of those that give so that they will have more to give. Okay, why don't we go ahead and stand? Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.